Let us begin our worship this evening by singing to his praise of God in Psalm 103 of the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 103 is Scottish Psalter. You'll find that on page 369 of the Blue Book. We'll sing from the beginning of that psalm. Psalm 103 from the beginning down to verse mark 5. O thou, my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. All thine iniquities, who doth most graciously forgive, who thy diseases all and pains doth heal and thee relieve. Who doth redeem thy life that thou to death mayest not go down, who thee with loving kindness doth and tender mercies crown, who with abundance of good things doth satisfy thy mouth, so that even as the eagle's age renewed is thy youth. A psalm that speaks of God's goodness and love towards his people. It's a psalm that we'll come back to sing the concluding verses at the end of our worship service. So let us lift our voices in praise to God. Let us stand together and sing this. O thou, my soul, bless God the Lord. We now join together in prayer and join our hearts together. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we give thanks that we can be gathered in such a place under your word, and we ask that as we do so, that you may open our ears and our eyes to see the beauty of God, to see him in new light as we have never done so before, and understand how merciful and gracious he is to the ones whom he loves, to his people whom he, whom he has redeemed. Let us stand in awe of him and all his works towards us, 
the one that does wash our sins away. And all our iniquities he graciously forgives us. So let us come and join our hearts devoted, focused on the one that died for us at the cross at Calvary. Your own Son, the Lord Jesus, in whom we ask all these things as we come to you in prayer. That you are one who hears our prayers and you hear the groanings of our hearts and souls. And yet, you know them before we utter them. You know all things and you know the hairs that are upon our heads. You know the anxieties within our hearts. You know the sadness within our hearts. And we pray for those who are sad within their heart tonight. We ask that you would remember them and that we would bring them before you, that you would be a comfort to them and comfort those who mourn, we pray. We just ask that your loving arms would be wrapped around them and that you would continue with them step by step in days that are so uncertain, days that may be fearful to them. But as we heard in the morning, you are one who gives peace. You are the one that does not bring unto us things like the world does. You take from us these anxieties and our fears and grants to us a peace within our heart when we draw close to you and you draw close to us. So in the gathering of your people, may we know the closeness of your presence and the blessing of your spirit upon us. As your word is spoken and read aloud tonight, that it may speak within our hearts. May it be a convicting voice, a converting voice, a strengthening voice, an encouraging voice to each of us. That we would know you when we gather with a heart and mind to seek you. And so let us do that tonight. Have our focus upon all the works of God and what Christ has done for us on the cross at Calvary. And through that sacrifice, we have been redeemed. There is no other power that can wash away sins, sins that separate us from God, and only through having faith in Christ, trusting and resting upon him, shall we be granted entry into your presence and unto the kingdom of glory. Let us not forget what awaits those who trust in Christ, for the hope that is set before us, a place with no sorrow, a place with no pain, a place where we shall adore and look upon the lamb that was slain, but it will be beautiful to us and his radiance will illuminate our presence and illuminate that land. Let us keep our mind upon things that are beyond this world and attain the things that are of everlasting joy to the believer in Christ. Lord, we pray that as you gather with us here, we pray for the young ones that are within this congregation. And we are mindful of those who may be away at camps. We pray for them. We pray for our own sponsor, Camp Ken Craig Juniors, and we thank you that they have gathered safely together and that they went to worship God together today. That as they join together one another, may you form lasting friendships there and bind them together with your love, that they may come to understand your love that, that 
is not like the love of this world. It is a love that does not hold grudges. It is a love that is not angered by a sin. It is a love that calls to us to come to him, to confess of our sins, that we may be adopted into the family of God. Lord, we pray that as your word has been proclaimed throughout your land and this nation, this island, that it would go with your blessing and that it would go with the power of your spirit. For it is not by any man can, can the mysterious works be done, but by the works of your spirit, convicting and converting and turning souls that lie in sin unto yourself. Lord, we just ask that you would bind us together in your love as we gather here this evening. We pray that you would strengthen each of us in our tasks, in our homes, in the duties that we have. Often we feel insufficient for what lies ahead of us. Often we feel weak to the tasks that are set before us. Lord, renew us as we come before you. May the strength of that eagles that is spoken in Isaiah be ours. May we walk and continue to run and striving towards that crown of righteousness that shall be ours as we walk in faith and trust in you. Be with us, we pray. Watch over us in person, watch over us in our homes. Keep us in health and strength. And all this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll continue in our praise to God by singing in Psalm 32. In the Sing Psalms version, We'll find that on page 38 of the Blue Book. Psalm 32. From the beginning of that psalm down to verse Mark 7. How blessed the one who has received forgiveness for his sin, whose sins are covered from God's face, whose debt is cancelled in God's grace. There's no deceit in him. Down to verse Mark 7. You are my hiding place, O Lord, my true security. You keep me safe in troubled days. You circle me with joyful praise when you have set me free. The psalm is speaking of that joy in knowing that his sins are forgiven and all debt is cancelled by the grace of God. If we stand together and sing these words, how blessed the one who has received forgiveness for his sin.
turn now to our Bibles, and if we could turn to the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 1 of that book. We'll read from the beginning of that chapter down to verse mark 20. And then afterwards we'll turn to Revelation for a short reading after that. Our first reading, Isaiah, chapter 1. And we'll read from the beginning of that chapter down to verse 20. Let us hear God's word. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my coats, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I do not endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For, your, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <clears throat> we turn now also to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Read the, reading there from verse 9 of that chapter. Revelation 7, reading at verse 9, down to verse 17. <clears throat> John's vision of a great multitude in heaven. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Amen. May the reading of God's word be a blessing to us. We'll join in praise again by singing in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 of the Scottish Psalter version. You'll find that on page 280 of the Blue Book, singing from the beginning of that psalm. After thy loving kindness, Lord, have mercy upon me, for thy compassion's great blot out all mine iniquity. Singing down to verse mark 7 there. To thy with hyssop sprinkle me, I shall be cleansed so. Ye wash thy me, and then I shall be whiter than the snow. The psalm, part of David's confession of his sin, as the prophet Nathan came before him. Let us sing these words to God's praise. Let us stand and sing. After thy loving kindness, Lord, have mercy upon me.
like us to turn together to the passage we read in Isaiah and give our minds attention in the time that we have to verses 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Often times in our lives when we hear things that we don't like to hear. We may remember the voice of parents telling us that we shouldn't be doing something or we shouldn't be going somewhere. Or maybe we hear someone speak to us against the plans that we have made in our own heads. Maybe we've had great plans that we spent a lot of time figuring out could be anything. We've had this great objective in our mind and we've come to discuss it and then someone may contradict what we've got in our head with maybe words that are wiser than how we thought it to be. The words that we don't like to hear or maybe fundamental flaws have been pointed out in our plans. It's things when that happens it's not easy for us to take it in. Sometimes we can be stubborn to anyone that gives us wise counsel and we carry on regardless. Other times we just need to admit that they are right and put our pride in a pocket, pride in our pocket in a sense, and admit that there was a flaw in our plan. And really what we have to do is weigh things up. Is what the person telling me, is he right? Is it true? And what the other voice that speaks to me says, we have to weigh things up. And the prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't have an easy task. It was their job to bring a voice of correction to the people in their time. And the voice that they brought was the voice of the Almighty God before nations that were in error. And it was words that were usually contrary to what the people wanted to hear. It was words that they didn't like to listen to because it opposed their actions, it opposed their desires that were within their hearts. It was just something they didn't like. It is no wonder that God spoke of Israel has been a stubborn and rebellious people so often because they aimed to do it their way and do it the way they thought was best. And yet God comes to them trying to redirect this stubborn people back to himself that they may be corrected and they may not fall by the wayside into error and do damage to themselves. This correction of God, the direction of God, the voice of God, by whatever means it would come to them, and by whatever means it comes to us, should demand our attention. It should arrest our attention when we read the word of God. Because it is a voice that speaks to us. It is a guiding voice that shows us the way in which we should go, the way in which we should live. But it is a fatherly voice. As we pray unto our Father, the words that the Father speaks to us is a loving, tender voice. And although it is made in love, sometimes it is things that are hard to hear. Sometimes it's things that are not favourable to our mind. And continuing as we have done in the last few weeks, we were looking at some Bible similes. We were in Psalm 133 last week. We look at this verse here where it describes the sin of Israel as scarlet and crimson, doubly crimson, but one that shall make them and turn them white as snow, 
and just like wool. But as we look at this word that Isaiah brought to the people, it is a truthful statement about their case. It is truthful about who they are before God, but it also gives them, it does not leave them, it gives them the greatest hope that God can give them. The greatest hope that they could hear. And so this verse is to us tonight. Maybe something we don't like to hear, something we don't like to focus on. When it clearly states not the, well, it states the, it state, it state, it states the condition of our nation in one sense but it states a condition of our hearts in another sense. As we come and draw near to a holy God, it's not comfortable for us to hear these things, but at the same time, we are presented with the greatest hope that man could ever hear and that we could ever hear. And it is a point where we marvel at the love that the Father has to us and how gracious God is. So firstly, we need to set the scene in a sense, gather what Isaiah is saying to the people. What does Isaiah say in the context of this well-known verse? Firstly, when you look at the whole chapter and the initial words of this chapter, it's not easy listening. And what it does is point out the condemnation of God to the people. Asking them why God sees them as so stained. So that's our first point. The condemnation that God presents to them. And yet God, well, he's not all condemning as some people like to perceive him to be. Because God calls out to the people. As he did then, he does today. God calls. That's our second point. And not only is he a God that calls, he is a God that saves. He is the one that washes away the stains and the sins that we have within our lives that the nation has. He is a God that cleanses us. So the condemnation of God, the calling of God, and the cleansed of God in this chapter. So let's look at the condemnation that is set before us in Isaiah's day. Isaiah was a prophet to the people of Jerusalem, and the people of Israel. He prophesied to the southern kingdom known as Judah. And we must remember firstly that the words that Isaiah brings is truth. They're words from God. They're not words of his own devising. God is saying to the people, and he wants the people to know, this is how you are before me. This is how I see you. God wants them to see their sin. They need to see their sin. God is warning the people in Judah about their position when they face divine justice of God. What is it that leaves him doubly stained in scarlet and crimson? Well, we're presented with a great number of facts through Isaiah's words. You can look back and turn and see verse 2. He speaks of children that I have reared up, reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The children that have turned their back on God. And then he goes on to speak of the ox in verse 3, who knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. It's as if he's saying that the animals have more sense than the people. The animals know where they shall receive care, goodness, nourishment and yet the people of Israel aren't so wise they're abandoning these things they're walking away from this loving fatherly figure who will provide for them in every way Israel are rebelling against God 
They don't understand. My people do not understand, he says. In verse 4, it continues the sinfulness of the nation, laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers who deal corruptly. They have despised God. And what does it say at the end of verse 4? They are utterly estranged. They're cut off in a sense. But God has not cut them off. It's their own doing. They have rejected God. They've rejected the fatherly figure that cares for them. They've rebelled against me. They've walked away. And then we see in verse 5, this is referred to a body. This nation is referred to a body. Isaiah says they're like being sick. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot even to the head. The whole being of Israel has this sickness in it. And we see that there's no strength to oppose the nations. There's no balm for their wounds. They're struggling on. It sounds like they're killing themselves because they're living as they want to live. And the nation that lives as it wishes, that reasons without God, that stubbornly strives on in their own way, will essentially slowly kill itself. There'll be no nourishment, there'll be no balm for them. But all the while, this people maintain some outward profession of worship. They maintain the traditions of their fathers in offering sacrifice and coming to God in worship. You can see in verse 11 that they bring a multitude of sacrifices. But God's had enough of the burnt offerings. He does not delight in what he brings to them. Trampling of my court, he speaks. Bring no more vain offerings. It is an abomination to me. They keep their new moon and Sabbath. They keep the festivals. They uphold these things. But they're burdensome to God now. Such so that he does not hear the prayers of the people. Now, you look at this people that is spoken about here and you think, Oh, they don't understand. What are they doing? They're rebelling against God in every way. Like, what, what would you do with them? If they reject someone that rejects you, someone that goes against you in every way, we are inclined to leave them. We are inclined just to forget about them, to abandon someone that treats us like that. We're inclined to exert our anger in return to the way that they've treated us. When we think of the condemnation of God, God does not condemn as we do. God, in the first instance, is not harsh, wanting to crush us, exercising his power over us, abandon us, reject us. God is not like us. Thankfully, God's condemnation is truthful to the people. He's stating the truth of the facts that leave them condemned before God. A selfish condemnation that they have brought upon themselves because they have walked away. In a sense, it's a merciful word. Although it's condemning, it's, it's got mercy strung through it because he wants the people to see that they are guilty in every way. I want you to know that you are sinful and I want you to turn from that sin. We may recall and instances in our lives where we've done something wrong throughout the day we come 
in the night time, we're lying in bed, and then the penny drops, and we say, oh no, I did that wrong today. I should not have done that to that person. I should have not done that act. I've done it wrong. It's only afterwards you realize and you think, well, what am I going to do to set it straight? Because I cannot leave it like that. I've made an error. And you may be going round and round in your head wondering what to do. What have I done? You may worry for your job. You may worry for your friendships. Whatever it is. It may cause anxieties within your heart for the thing that you have done. And you know you have been wrong. And we get worried about these things in our lives. But is it not a question we ask, need to ask ourselves? Do we worry about eternal things like that before God? It seems to me like we're a people that are so complacent about eternity and the truthfulness of ourselves before God. We seem to be so complacent with it. The sins of our own lives that leave that scarlet mark, a mark that is irremovable in many ways, that crimson blemish that stains and ruins our garments, sins that catch our eye. And it is a sin in the sight of God, and it is a sin that God cannot pass by. God sees that sin. He cannot miss it. He cannot forget about it. It needs to be dealt with. And we know we've all seen the images on telly of red wine staining a white garment or a white cloth. And to prove the cleaning product, they show it as pure white after it's been washed. We need to be washed from the sin that stains our hearts. We are inclined to cover up the sins before people. But we cannot hide our sins from God. The stain remains. In a sense, it tarnishes the garments that we wear. It tarnishes our lives before God. And our garments are so stained that, well, they may as well be all red, in a sense. And as it was God's desire that Israel would see their sin, so it is God's desire that we see the sin in our lives. And the means by which we are often condemned when we read his word and it states the truthfulness of our heart, the error of our ways, it opposes the desires and the plans that we make, some things that we don't like to hear. Sometimes we stubbornly oppose it in our own folly. How does God see you tonight? And although we are sinners and we are full of sin and our garments are so stained, God does not call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Though we are state before God, we are condemned. We are called. We are called by God. That is our next point. As we said, the condemnation is a part of his calling. It is a merciful element of his nature that we should know and that it should be real to us. And you see the calling through the chapter here. In verse 2, there is a hear. He calls the people to hear. In verse 5, he questions the people. Why do you continue to rebel? Why will you be struck down? The call of here comes again in verse 10 to hear his word. And then in verse 18, 
He tells the people to come now. Hear my voice. Give consideration to your ways. Come and speak with me. Let us reason together. After all his preceding words to Judah, after all he's condemned them of and shown them the guiltiness of their lives, God still says, come. Come and speak with me. Come and reason with God. Or come and dispute with him. And really what it means is to weigh up. Weigh up God's words with him. Weigh up how God sees you in your life. Ask God, is it true? If this is the case, if you know you've done wrong, why are we so complacent about eternal things? Why do we not seek to set ourselves straight before God and correct the error of our ways? Our ideas and our ways lead us in a totally different direction before the truthful reason of God. And then when you come to see that God still calls Israel after their actions and after their sinful, rebellious ways, you think, well, is God an angry God? No. Anger would not call the people to come. Anger would not plead that they would understand their foolishness and their ways. It's grace. Because God is a gracious God. Grace from a loving Heavenly Father that we hear his words. We hear his words tonight saying, yes, sinful child, Look at your garments and see what you're wearing. They are stained by your sin. But I have grace for you. I call you to come to me. A call that is extended to every one of us tonight. Who hears his word as it is proclaimed and preached Maybe you are one that has been reared on this word. As Israel was reared by God and have walked away and have turned your back from following the guidance of this Father. Maybe you're one who has dealt corruptly in your life and you know that you shouldn't have. Maybe you're someone that doesn't care for this word, care for this word, care to hear God's word. Maybe you've despised Christ. Maybe your worship has fallen into an empty routine. Maybe we find ourselves backslidden. What does God say to those who are so sinful? Come, hear what I have to say to you. Come and reason with me. Come and understand what you are before my sight. Now, as we look at ourselves, without this gracious, lovingly, heavenly Father presented before us, we look at the sinfulness of our garments, the stains that are upon it. We think, well, my sins have surely provoked an anger, as we understand that we would, as we would treat people. That God would never set salvation before me. That God would be someone who would not value me because of what I am, because of what I've done. But that's not true. That's, of course, what the devil wants you to think. God is gracious and loving. And he provides the means of grace to know his grace and to receive his grace. He wants you to call to him. He wants you to weigh up your case with him and speak to him, pray to him. Pray with a truthful heart, the truthful state of yourself before God. And that God would work within you 
a hatred of sin, driving you to repentance, to turn away from these things and the ways in which you lived your life because now you see it, that you've made a mistake. You see the error of your ways. You see what you are before God and you need to turn. God did not abandon Israel. God did not reject Israel. Nor will he you. Yes, he acknowledges the state of your sin, as we need to do before God. And you know what the amazing thing is? That as we come before him with a hatred of the things that we have done, and the things that grieve our hearts and our souls, we only see half of it. So in a sense, the garments that we wear, we see the sins upon the front of it, but we don't see the sins on the back. God sees the entirety of the stains on your garment, the blemishes in your life, and still he calls you to come. He calls you to weigh up your life before him. It's amazing, this fatherly figure that loves the one who has walked away. Come now and reason with me. Not tomorrow. Come now. And you see the faults of your life. He will take these sins and he will cleanse them from you. And those who come knowing and acknowledging and seeing the sins of their lives, coming reason with God and saying, yes, I have turned my back on you and I have made a mess of the way I have lived my life. He provides a means of washing you clean. He provides a mean in which there will be no more condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ will wash that condemnation away and wash the sins of your garment away as you turn in new obedience to him. How are we made clean? How are we cleansed? Through the blood of the Lamb as we read of in Revelation. Through that sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, the sins of my heart. Let us move to the next point of the cleansed of God very briefly. You will notice there that God calls them to wash themselves in verse 16. Wash, them, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Salvation is all of God. The means of being cleansed is all of God. But he asks of us to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct corruption. That we do not continue living the lives that he has condemned. And even as a Christian, it is a continuing confession and repentance of the sins that we gather daily that we come before him while we are within the kingdom of grace, knowing of the daily benefits as he washes and cleanses us in the blood of the Lamb and the sacrifice that was offered for sin. And though we are called to come, there is nothing that we can do to actually cleanse us. The power and effectiveness of the cleansing is in Christ. It is entirely in Christ. The ones that were clothed in white, as John saw, in the kingdom of glory, were those who brought their robes. The ones who washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb were cleansed. It's almost as if they had that conscious effort to come to that cleaning that cleansing solution for sin, where there was no other solution to cleanse their garments. 
And you know what we're speaking of here tonight? It is, in f- it is the whole cleansing process of sin. That we see ourselves before God. That we turn from the filth that sticks to our garments. The sin in our lives before God. We need to see what we are before God. It's part of the process that we hear his call as it is extended to you tonight. That you come and come now confessing who we are and reasoning with God that he is the one that will in return cleanse us. To be cleansed, we must confess of our sins. The solution comes from the cross at Calvary. The Son of God that died for you. As we said, God cannot just pass over the stains and blemishes of your life. They need to be paid for. They need to be cleansed. And it is in the blood of Christ that all this is cleansed. The Son of God is the Lamb that was sacrificed to satisfy justice. The blood of Christ has the power to wash away our sins. If you come with your garments stained and you pray to God and you reason with him, the truthfulness of your life is an assurance there even in this passage. Oh, your sins are like scarlet. And yes, they are there. If you come and reason with me, they shall be washed away. They shall be white as snow. It's not maybes or buts about it. They shall be washed away. The question that we have to ask ourselves is how do we react to this word? How did Israel react to the word of Isaiah and the words that he spoke to them as they saw the truth of their lives before God? How do we react to the word of God when it speaks that of us as being sinners that are likewise stained, that we are condemned before God without, being, without Christ? And yet he is one that is calling to you How are we reacting to the call of Christ? You suppose that there would be a man standing at the end of the road as you went down and left the church tonight, and he'd be calling your name. What would you do? Would you walk the other way? And if it was a call that was made in love, and a fatherly love to you, calling you, Are you going to rebel from that call? Are you going to walk away from that call? Or are you going to draw near to him? Are you going to weigh up your case with him? Are you going to pray to him? Are you going to be the willing and obedient one spoken of in verse 19? That would receive and eat the good of the land. But the warning is there in verse 20. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. Judgment will come. It is the word of the Lord that has spoken. Will you continue in stubbornness? Or is it time to put your pride in our pocket and turn to God and say, yes, I have done wrong. I have sinned before you. And take the things of eternity serious. And though we are condemned, the gracious, loving Father calls you. Calls you to come tonight to him. Why? So that he may cleanse you. And that he may wash your garments white as snow that they would become like wool, 
that they would be pure and white. And it speaks and echoes of glory where Christ was spoken of and appearing in glory and white, the hair on his head like wool, the hair on his head white like wool, like snow. The transfigured Christ appeared white as light. The one who believes in Christ shall be like him, and received into glory. Through the blood of the Lamb, we are cleansed. Christ is calling you tonight. Come and reason with him. May these thoughts be blessed to us. We'll conclude our time of worship by singing in Psalm 103 again in the Scottish Psalter. In verse 369, uh, page 369, sorry, of the Blue Book, Psalm 103, the Scottish Psalter. Returning to Psalm 103, the psalm that speaks of God's goodness and love towards his people, we'll sing there from verse marked 8 down to verse marked 12. The Lord our God is merciful, and he is gracious, long-suffering and slow to wrath and mercy plenteous. He will not chide continually, nor keep his anger still. With us he dealt not as we sinned, nor did requite our ill. For as the heaven in its height, the earth surmounteth far, so great to those that do him fear his tender mercies are. As far as east is distant from the west, so far he hath from us removed in his love all our iniquities. The God that loves his people and calls them to come to him and parts from them their sins. Let us stand and sing together. The Lord our God is merciful and he is gracious. of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we may see ourselves before you, the Holy One, a creator of all things, that we may turn from our ways, and that you, as we confess our sins to you, you will part these sins as far as the east is from the west, removing all the iniquity of our lives, and cleansing us in the blood of Jesus Christ, the one that died for us on the cross at Calvary, a payment that we should stand for and take. But yet out of his love and grace, the loving Heavenly Father that loves such a stubborn and rebellious and stiff-necked people, he comes to us and calls us that we may be cleansed. What a love he extends to us. May we continue in that love, and may it continue to amaze us. Be with us as we part and return to our homes, we pray. 
Watch over us, guide us, and keep us in your safety. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.